0: Project Lawful, a.k.a. Plane Crash, by Yarwain, a.k.a. Eliezer Yudkowski, and Lintamande. Thread 1, Mad Investor Chaos, and the Woman of Asmodeus. Episode 58. It's not like Galarian is doing incredibly better than Dathilan on the strength of its greater selfishness. Keltham elects not to say it out loud. For now. They didn't think I was a mistake. A person that they'd wish they'd never made and brought into the world. Nothing like that. Not even close. They felt they'd made their own wrong life choices that had resulted in me existing. That's not the same as saying that I shouldn't exist. That if there's a button you press to get a Keltham, you don't press the button. They just felt that they could have made other choices and gotten some other result instead, and then they would have felt like they'd made their own choices correctly, not that one possible child would be more valuable to them than the other, if you put them side by side. Their lives are also theirs, and their regrets belong to them, and they didn't try to make them be something about me, or something of mine. A sudden lump comes into his throat, as Keltham realizes, having not quite thought of it before. Everyone who knows me thinks I'm dead. Really dead. The Keepers have to know. The Keepers ought to tell anyone who's really broken up about it, right? It shouldn't be that much of an info hazard, that you wouldn't even tell the kid's own parents he's still alive. The Keepers will tell them that Keltham is still somewhere, probably many different somewheres, but some weighing more than others, and that to say anything about the details is far beyond anything the Keepers can do. The Keepers would not be able to foresee specifics like Galarion. Dath-Elan wouldn't put that much effort into Cryo suspending every single person, no matter what if they expected all the selfish sadists to end up in worlds with masochists who give them everything they want. Maybe hearing the current state of knowledge is actually worse for somebody than thinking their kid is just gone, because if they're just non-existent, nothing any worse can be happening to them, and more importantly, you can be done thinking about it at some point. Maybe the keepers won't tell his parents, or anybody else who knows him after all.
1: The distinction Keltham is trying to draw doesn't make any sense to Carissa, Or at least not to the extent he's trying to say something more complicated than they get to wish they'd had a different kid if they want to, which is obviously true. But it doesn't seem like the time to say that. Snuggle.
0: He's feeling a bit sad now, and will snuggle back and hope that she thinks of something to say, so he doesn't have to.
1: I'm sorry that in your world people can die forever. They shouldn't.
0: It is not entirely clear to him that people can. Not that this is necessarily a good thing. Though it could be. Keltham doesn't know. It depends on, you know, the entire state of the entire multiverse that he cannot, in fact, extrapolate in his tiny little mortal-sized brain. But he should maybe not talk about this much until he's tried to figure out the ways in which it will be an enormous info hazard, Which, again, it clearly will be. Somehow. I suspect that... At the scale where whole universes interact, like that time might not mean as much, or be as synchronized as it is in Golarion. If you can see Doth elan from here, if that's at all controllable, then it might be just as easy to see Doth elans past as what I think of as its present. That could be why Asmodius wasn't trying to grab anyone else right away. If it was expensive and if he knew that all that was needed was one lani to get things rolling here, and that in time, Galarian civilization would then ascend to where it could finish the job itself. And if you think about it from the perspective of somebody who died, they just need someone, somewhere, who's powerful enough, who can see them, and cares, or is willing to trade with something else that cares. Some trades stretch across time, It's a saying in Dath-Ilan that usually means something rather different there. Just ordinary time in one world. Coordinated trades that parents make with children who don't exist yet or haven't matured as economic agents.
1: This makes so much more sense in light of Carissa's realization Keltham thinks there are infinite worlds, but she isn't sure she would have had that revelation if she hadn't been listening to his conversation with Isidra. That makes sense she says, slowly. So, under that theory, you were the single dath it was most important for Golarion to grab. And I was the place in Golarion it was most important to put you.
0: Yeah, that's a problem with the theory. I'm frankly actually not seeing that. There are Dathilani with higher intelligence, higher wisdom, superior social skills, and a far more encyclopedic knowledge of what you have to do to get a civilization booted. I'm also pretty sure that Golarion isn't the most fun-for-me world I could possibly be in. It's almost as if something wasn't really optimizing all that hard, but that just straight up doesn't make sense at the requisite power level, so a much better bet is that something else was being optimized instead. Or, I was cheaper in some unavoidable way than a smarter Dathilani. Or, Golarion was more accessible. Or, there were only the hundred Dathilani from the air-traveling machine to distribute, and not that many more places to put them. I kind of doubt I'm going to get it after thinking about it for an hour, if I didn't get it in the first thirty seconds.
1: Or it has to be an evil Dathilani, because they have to be able to work with Cheliacs, because a good Dathilani Chelyaks would just cheerfully ignore while deceiving, and they're supposed to do something more complicated than that and it can't be a genius because then Chelyax would fail at deceiving them. You could try asking a very smart person, she says, because she kind of wants to get the conversation back on Isidre without indicating that she has any reason to think that conversation was of particular interest. We do have a couple of those, though they tend very busy.
0: It's out of Isidre's depth. She might have the intelligence and wisdom to be a keeper, if there's not more to it than that other unmeasured qualities, which there might be. But she's missing background knowledge, and the background knowledge is piled on top of other knowledge, in a very tall pile. That's basically what I told Isidra when she asked me to explain my hidden Kuthite cleric prediction, that the reason I hadn't tried to tell you earlier wasn't that I thought you were too stupid. It's occurring to Keltham that in Sufficient Extremis there's an emergency tactic, which is his asking to put on Isidra's headband. Well, Keltham now knows a threshold. If he ever becomes any more good than the amount of goodness required to do that, he'll end up destroying his own self, in a way that will probably be a lot more final than his temporary inconveniencing on the airplane. Or maybe it wouldn't actually be that bad. Not knowing if it will actually be that bad sure could be one way to end up desperately doing something that actually is that bad.
1: Oh, Oh, it makes sense that the Crown would have really wanted to understand that, and it makes sense that you couldn't explain it to them. He seems tense. Is that because he found Isidra suspicious, but didn't think of it at the time? She really wants those transcripts.
0: To be clear, that wasn't the only thing Isidra wanted to talk about, saying that now so it doesn't seem later like I was trying to mislead you about that.
1: Politely puzzled Carissa. I assume a very smart person who wanted to meet with you would have lots to say, and you don't have to tell me any of it. You don't want to. Presumably, if she wanted me to hear all of it, she'd have invited me too. Well, hand-waving some palace politics that perhaps I shouldn't hand-wave. But she could have let you let me stay.
0: Yeah. I hadn't meant to spell it out explicitly, in case you got curious and then I couldn't answer right away. But since you seem to be deducing it anyways... There's a bunch of her stuff that was very much some person with an overpowered intelligence headband reading about less intelligent people with potential relationship issues and her deciding to optimize them. And one of the people she wanted to optimize was you.
1: Well, I don't exactly know how I feel about that. On the one hand, it is sort of interesting to have smart people try to think about your life for you. I'm always wishing I was smarter and could do that better. On another, I feel strange about it being someone I haven't met who is reading the project transcripts presumably in their capacity as a chellish administrator. On another, there's something romantic about people having meetings with you about optimizing me. Makes it less like pretending. On another, you've been here for three days and they've been very stressful and you haven't actually signed up for responsibility for optimizing me. What if you don't want to optimize me? Possibly this is too many opinions to have about a one-sentence summary of a conversation I didn't witness. Sorry.
0: No, that all sounded pretty justified based on the actual conversation. To be fair, I'm probably being uncharitable to Isidry. Right now, she had very serious and altruistic and important reasons for optimizing over us. The way that very smart people do, in stories about very smart people, that are based on cautionary life events that happen to actual very smart people. My bet, and it seems like a pretty sure bet, is that Galarian doesn't have many very smart people at all, and in particular, it doesn't have enough of them that they can form their own social groups and train each other in how to not make typical very smart person mistakes. I'll go ahead and ask about the romantic part, though. Is it having a couple of other people go off and decide what to do with your life among themselves?
1: Not exactly. It's... So when I went to the sex shop, there was this sort of pervasive assumption that it was a little like a costume shop, Uh, I don't know how to explain it, that some people like to dress up as the possessions of other people during sex, in the same way as some people like to dress up as dragons during sex, and so they'd sell you the outfit for it. And there's nothing wrong with that. But at the world wound, people were doing something different, something better suited to me. Where, you could give terms up front, obviously, but whatever terms you gave, those were real. They weren't a costume, they weren't a game, the whole thing was obviously in an overarching sense governed by the treaty, so no one was risking being maimed or murdered, but you wouldn't say, oh, hmm, I'm bored now. And I was slightly worried that the nobility, being the nobility and sort of aliens at best, anyway, had the concept, but only the costume party concept. Yep, that's the problem with the Chellish nobility, that they might be assuming by default that their relationship is one of equals with some pretense. Definitely not that everyone who doesn't know exactly what's going on assumes what's going on is that Chelliax gave the alien some welcoming gifts. And if they're asking you, then... then they're not working off a costume party concept— even though it's a sort of silly thing for them to have done, and I'm sorry you were inconvenienced.
0: I guess. That is very much the kind of respect that Dath-Elan wants out of its very smart people who are smarter than the other people. The sort of thing where if you say I'm Keltham's, they take that at face value and go talk to Keltum. Though I did not myself, see that at the time, because I am still very much, trying to locate in concept space what it means that you gave yourself to me.
1: Yes, very respectful. Isidre sure is that. Well, see, that's the complicating bit, right? That you didn't actually sign up for being in any sense responsible for me. So I feel respected, but also you should definitely feel free to say, I continue to delegate Carissa Optimization to Carissa, you didn't acquire an obligation to do it. What does it mean to you that I gave myself to you?
0: "'that my brain continually feels like it's wavering on some sort of huge ledge, "'and I am constantly wondering which things I am to do with you and which not, "'and which decisions you're supposed to make for yourself and I'm supposed to make for you. "'Because you still think, Carissa, on some deep level, that I grew up in Golarion, "'that of course I must know what you really mean, that it should be obvious, "'and because it's obvious it's fine not to be legible.' that I have to figure out for myself what I actually want from you, since I don't have the excuse and easy way out of just asking you what you're willing to give, and that I guess I'll see where that takes me, Keltham answers out loud. It's also obviously this huge act of, oh, loyalty, trust, something I don't have words for, And it impresses me, and Soyuz makes me wish that I understood all the connotations, everything that somebody from Galarian would take for granted, so that I could appreciate better exactly what that act means. And stop being terrified that its real meaning is owing you something I can't pay back.
1: Lean. Well, there's no hurry, and I can try to explain, except I don't know exactly where to start. I already explained the bits that are really obvious, and the rest is probably, you know, fire elementals don't know what fire is.
0: Isidra, allegedly, has some idea of what fire is. But among the many, many things I didn't ask her and should have when I had the chance was, wait, so am I allowed to just directly say all this to Carissa and ask her about it, or do you predict something bad happens if I do that?
1: Oh, I bet she knows what fire is. What kind of bad thing are you thinking of?
0: As the saying goes, knowledge of the bad thing that happens to you if you hear the dangerous information is often the same dangerous information. I mean, not for book spoilers, maybe, but for a lot of the more serious stuff. I'd have to go through it all piece by piece to figure out if there were any exceptions to that. I'm being evasive. Why am I being evasive? I'm being evasive because thinking about what Isidra said requires my romantic and libido parts to be booted up to think about it properly, and those parts are not presently booted. Do I endorse that answer? Yes, I endorse it.
1: Okay. That seems bad for Cheliax's goals. Also confusing. Carissa is pretty sure that when one feels vulnerable and confused, then one is much more inclined to have sex, though that's the kind of thought where, now that she's thought it, she can notice probably isn't a human universal and is probably instead the kind of thing that might divide people by whether they like being hit or not. Do you want a massage? I think that is the standard sort of thing that's nice, even when one isn't in the mood and can get one into it.
0: I have some sort of guilt feelings you're going to tell me I shouldn't have, because it's not the point, and then the feelings aren't going to go away. That you're a top-notch weapons specialist who gave herself to me to make anything I wanted of her, and instead of making you into a better weapon specialist whose creations can destroy 50 demons per second, I'm getting a massage from you.
1: So I hesitate to describe my ideal endgame here because I'm very worried that you're going to, like, take it as if I don't achieve that, then I wronged Carissa by taking her up on it in the first place. Which is not the point at all. But my ideal endgame here is that we build a Dathilani city in conquered Nadal and get all the modern conveniences civilization invents before anyone else, and I have so much spell silver. I can do every project that comes to mind as soon as it does, and I make us immortal. Though we can still visit hell sometimes, maybe have a vacation place in Dis, and sometimes you have a very spirited try at hurting me until I say no, and you can't do it.
0: I'd expect you to warn me in advance if I was getting close to making you say no, and not just struggle to get away, if I hadn't otherwise rescinded that order by then. That is not something I am ready to fight my brain about right now. And even if that changes, I suspect I still might find it hot. It actually does help that you have and know any possible endgame. It helps my brain believe that you weren't just stepping into a vast, empty void, that it is my sole task to fill like a... And once again, Taldane does not have the word, computer programmer. God. I'm not sure you grasp quite how little I know about what a Carissa saver could maybe possibly probably be thinking.
1: If this works at all, you're going to be incredibly rich and powerful. Like 99% of the female population of Galerion, I like it when men are rich and powerful and I am better at extrapolating than most of them. And I know what I would do with wealth and power because I am a wizard and wizards are very good at turning money into ridiculously cool magic stuff, though also if you get bored and drop me in a month, I won't feel cheated. I have too much chelish dignity to be upset about not getting something which never belonged to me.
0: That sounds like a piece of the dignity that would exist in my world, maybe. The world of Kelthams. Like how I didn't think that civilization owed me any appreciation unless I could force that. I keep poking my brain if it's ready for a massage, and my brain keeps insisting that it's beneath you, and I'm trying to decide whether I should execute the tried-and-true response of blowing up my brain with explodey things and just getting the massage.
1: I assume it would be pushing you too far in confusion about how chellish dating works and uncertainty about who is getting paid what if we ordered Pilar in here to give you a massage while I watched and showed you a bit of complicated spell scaffolding?
0: That would induce confusion about Kellish dating, yes. Why Pilar in particular and not say Maritzal?
1: Pilar's here. Everyone else is all the way in Ostenso. I don't know if you're important enough to get someone teleported in to give you a massage during a war when we're using all our teleport capacity for logistics.
0: Because they did the resurrect here. I feel like I should have seen that answer without having to ask it. Anyways, I've been advised by Isidre that I am not ready for Pilar. Oh, right. This seems safe to say. After the very strange thing happened to Pilar, Isidre got a hunch and asked security to ask a few questions. Pilar has a fetish for being forced, or as Isidre put it, a rape fetish, a term I assume has some interpretation other than wanting unwanted sex, which is not outright self-contradictory, and it's an obligate fetish to the point where she'd feel actually raped if I made her talk about sex before having it with her. I infer, though, it was not said explicitly. Oh, my ass, Halden how... You can you take that many syllables to say that? People would just not say it. That this was the point at which Isidre decided to come over and futilely attempt to find out exactly why I think one of the girls is secretly some kind of traitor, possibly without knowing it herself.
1: Pilar's not really the ideal person, anyway. If the way Keltham works is that he has a hard time abusing girls he respects, then the obvious thing is to try to get him in bed with a girl he doesn't respect but all the research harem are at least reasonably competent and she can't think of an obvious excuse for him to be introduced to a new useless girl huh so she asked pilar noticed it matched and thought you were on to something with the mysterious logic above the gods you can't explain to us and it's usually just a fetish for not being in a position to refuse or for it not mattering if you want it rather than for not wanting it i think
0: Yeah, basically. I gave Isidra some other guesses of what that logic said about some other things, and there's a test we could run, sort of, but it's a strange one, and to consider it, I have to boot my sexuality, which seems to be noticeably stirring in response to the Pilar discussion. Non-self-contradictory version. Brain, really. Yes, really. The thought of getting a massage from you now seems notably more appealing. Oh, uh, meta-comment. The thing I'm doing now where I think out loud more in front of you when we're in private is because you're my girlfriend and get more access to my thought processes.
1: Okay. Carissa does actually need to urgently seek correction at some point about how much she likes Keltham. Not because it's going to inspire her to betrayal. She really isn't worried about that at all and assumes they aren't either. But because having such an Unasmidean impulse twenty times a day definitely breaks other things, and she needs to know which other things and get them corrected as quickly as possible. That is a very sweet policy. I like it. I can try to think out loud more in front of you as well.
0: It's not actually easy. Doth Ilani only make it look easy. It'll take practice, and in particular, one of the first skills you'll need to learn is the ability to say wrong thought, meaning, wait, that isn't what I was actually thinking. Because the words that come out of your mouth will be different from the thoughts you actually thought.
1: Huh. Well, I'll try it. Maybe on my own, at first, unless you want to see me try it, but I do expect it'll be a bit harder to learn with an audience.
0: Oh, that's probably a good idea if you haven't had any anti-conformity training, yeah. I'm not sure how much resistance a chelish adult has to falsely believing that they're thinking the things that they think the people around them want them to be thinking. But, like, I kind of suspect the massive amount of counter-training we Dath Ilani got as kids was actually doing something.
1: Hmm. Do you think? I haven't had anti-conformity training. Yeah. And appreciate the warning. This is something you might do to us because, wow, it sounds kind of nightmarish in the same way as having the queen show up to mock you for your thoughts from the transcripts she's reading. Except in the opposite direction, so getting both at once is double nightmarish. There's genuinely something terrifying there, something that feels like realizing you're not standing over solid ground but on a tightrope over the abyss. Or like noticing you could peel all your skin off. It's true, but did you really need to notice it? Of course, most thoughts are the thoughts you're supposed to have. How about a change of subject? Well, when it comes to having girls by force, I think there are actually more women with that fetish than men who want to fulfill it, so maybe you can have fun without hand wringing about the market value of the experience you're getting for free. Or maybe you can charge, though the specific nature of the fetish does make it seem hard to do that.
0: Keltham forbears to point out that this is not plausibly an evolutionarily stable mating market equilibrium. He's made his point. It's time to give it a rest. I don't think it's obtaining by force, maybe more like having them struggle inside their chains. Possible logistical difficulties there, sexually speaking, but logistical difficulties are there in life to be solved though I think I should not attempt for a fair while to do that with anyone who is not following an order saying that they cannot verbally argue with me to be let out, which I suspect rules out Pilar outright, even apart from Isidre's warning. Or maybe I'm wrong about how that would work. Also, I think I'm actually ready for that massage now.
1: Oh, good. That was the goal. Carissa will start on that massage. Yeah, I think if where you're at is that you need the girl to not be arguing with you, then that's fine. For now. But it rules out Pilar based on what you said, and probably lots of other girls who won't feel wronged but won't know what you're playing at. Perhaps you will have to require introductory classes on dathelanism before anyone is comprehensible enough you can fuck them without getting horribly confused
0: dath ends up in alternate universe, trains the most intelligent people around him in dath so he has a pool of compatible sex partners? Yeah, I don't think that book would turn into a best-selling novel anytime soon.
1: Why not? I'd read it. But really, I think this is the premise of a romance novel marketed to women. Powerful man from another world comes to transform your own, happens to be incredibly sexually unfulfilled and want you in particular. That's a female fantasy. Most authors don't have much imagination and just make him a duke, but it's the same principle. The massage was a good idea. Keltham totally has some muscle tension.
0: She's pretty okay at massage for somebody whose civilization obviously never gave her a single training class on how any of it works and may not even collectively know. This will probably have a net positive effect. Civilization's got some different romance novels, gotta say. Very different. Going on recently popular media, a stereotypically standard female-appealing fantasy would be to find that they're secretly the daughter, and heiress, to a dark unilateral ruler in an alternate universe with economic magic that lets the dark ruler run the entire place as a criminal mastermind, with a corrupted governance that makes everybody believe that most people elected her when actually they didn't. And now the new dark heiress has got to pretend to act like an evil supervillain for an extended period, and navigate a complex and chaotic web of criminal personalities to end up with a harem of four men each with distinct powers and personalities on her way to either seizing or inheriting the dark rulership.
1: Okay, I think that'd be a hit in celiacs too. But for some reason, which no doubt you'll diagnose down the line, the actual romances I've had the misfortune to pick up have all been much worse than that. Also, probably Dathilan would consider literally all our rulers, even the very capable ones, to be dark unilateral rulers.
0: Your queen's not unilateral, according to Azidri, She had to coordinate with Asmodeus to take over Cheliax, and now has to keep track of how much political capital she has with the Church of Asmodeus. Also, remember these are romance novels for intelligence seventeen women, being written by intelligence, twenty-four women. I'm not sure how much diagnosing of the difference actually remains to be diagnosed after that.
1: Yeah, I guess that's probably sufficient. And sure, Cheliax has a dark alliance between her Imperial Majestrix and the lawful evil god Asmodeus, though if they disagree on anything, it's not very visible to their subjects. Most of the time.
0: I am worried that your alliance is not quite dark enough, frankly, based on interacting with Asidri and hearing some of her concerns about how much fun the Queen isn't having. Very smart people in Dathilan tend to lean good. The obvious potential problem with that, if not otherwise averted, is that when you care about a very large number of people, you can end up with very large numbers inside your mental decision processes, and especially the parts that do abstract thinking. That can produce thoughts at edges and vertices of the space of thoughts, extremes you wouldn't get with a more naturally selfish person where the weights don't go much larger than the weights they put on themselves. Now this, to be clear, is a problem you have to solve with more law rather than less law. If it's a predictable fact that certain ways of thinking are going to make certain mistakes, predict it and then don't make the mistakes. If a good person ends up thinking it's a good idea to break an oath and go to Abaddon in order to save some larger number of other people from going to Abaddon, they could imaginably be right by their own measures, in which case there's no arguing with the utility function, values that entities assign to final outcomes. But I would far more expect to observe that good people end up systematically mistaken about how much good oath-breaking really does, for example, because of the further consequences of people not being able to trust good people's oaths anymore, or anyone's oaths because that person might be secretly good, or just because good people usually and systematically end up not saving as many people as they hoped with the sacrifices they make. If you have a lot of very smart good people, they can train each other out of mistakes like that. I doubt Galarian even bothers to collect statistics on the kind of mistakes that very smart people make. And the other thing about civilization is that we do not often have to worry about 15% of the population dying. There are not millions of people in fixable-seeming-horrible situations, and if there were, you would be working on it with a lot of other people rather than nearly alone, which probably helps a bunch in practice to keep our smart, good people from ending up at weird extremes without them having to be incredibly lawful about that. To a Dathilani, Isidre reads strongly as someone with overly large problems to worry about, insufficient law by Dathilani standards, and an intelligence headband too much more powerful than the headbands of the people around her.
1: Did he think that at Abrogale? Carissa bets he thought that at Abrogale, and she feels this is the best thing that ever happened, even though objectively it's probably bad for her interest in being of no interest to the queen. That makes sense. I have never heard the queen called good, but I guess maybe a project like hers attracts good advisors, though her primary advisors are sent straight from hell, probably because that's one of the only ways around this problem in Galarian.
0: Then the queen's advisors may not know, may have forgotten, how humans actually work in some ways, which is another problem Isidra was trying to optimize over. Should he actually be discussing the queen a lot with Carissa? if there is a huge, not-yet-diffused Carissa-Abergale interaction bomb that might not be tropotarily inevitable. I have noticed an ulterior motive to change the subject about this. Can we go back to talking about fetishes or romance?
1: Yes, absolutely. Do you want me to just list various things that people with your taste sometimes like and then you can decide if you like them or not?
0: maybe go a little slowly on me and just list like one more, partially for internal speed limit reasons and partially because not spoiling the fun by finding out it exists too far ahead of when you can do it.
1: Okay, one more. Having a girl blindfolded and deafened so she has no idea what's happening around her except when you touch her.
0: I was going to say that's also a thing that has ever occurred to Dathilani to try, focusing on touch instead of other senses but I'm realizing that in a sadistic context, and maybe one where you are blindfolded and chained, this is a very different concept. Libido has started all the way back up, mysteriously. There are physiological signs of this, which Keltham is not bothering to verbally observe, because he expects Carissa can decode the way he just shifted and adjusted his position on the bed. Galarian beds sure are ill-suited to being a massage table on top of all their other ill-suited functions. I request quiet, but continued massage while I try to consider some things Isidre said.
1: She nods, silently, and proceeds silently, and imagines Contessa Larilatha telling Abigail to leave Carissa alone, because that must be that's pretty much what Abigail said happened. How would that even go? Would you go find a couple dozen other Carissas to distract Abigail with poor dozen other Carissas who didn't have the good sense to be in the right place at the right time. She hopes they're not statues. That's not entertainment at the misfortune of another that'd just be sad. That's not heretical, right? Wanting every soul to find its way to Asmodeus? (laughs)
0: If you wish to support this AI reading and others like it, please visit patreon.com slash askwhocastsai. Any help is appreciated. And thank you to executive producer John Doe, 7776059.